God is good. God is good. What a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be alive for Jesus. It's a time of exploits. It's a time of exploits. It really is. I'd like to direct your attention here this morning to the book of 1 Peter. Trust that you brought your Bibles to the house of God. I know that we use technology around here, but you just you need to know that the pastor is in the Bible. And uh, that, only, that only comes by you following me in your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse number 12. You got it? Say amen. amen. The Apostle Peter here, profound general epistle. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now, when you're brand new in the church, it's easy to say, what's happening? There's been a, there's been a temperature change. But fiery trials happen. And some of the experienced saints say amen. Now this, this contrast between the, the first verse that I just read to you and this next verse is something that you cannot do without the Holy Ghost. You have to have the Spirit of God. But rejoice. How many people you know count it all joy when they fall into diverse temptations? How many people you know rejoice when they're in a fiery trial? The reason why that's so rare means that there is a different perspective that we need to adopt about our fiery trials. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, on those that are doing the reproaching, on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, which shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, 
where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I want to talk to us for a few moments this morning about the paradox of suffering. The paradox of suffering. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's focus afresh and anew. And let's lift our hands and our voices together and let's pray for the remainder of this service. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We have come into this place to give you great praise and adoration. Father, also we have come to be fed from the king's table. We pray that our, our, our eyes are opened, our ears are unstopped, and our hearts are free to receive the word of God. We won't fail to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Man, it's a good thing that we're getting a bigger facility. Just to give you a short little update, we are expecting to get our permit, our building permit from the city of Liberty Lake in about two weeks. I really anticipate winning to God some of these that are going to be working on this project. I've already met some of them, and uh, we anticipate winning souls during this building project. It's going to be an exciting time. Amen. These seven verses that I read in your hearing uh, today encompass an entire thought that is being expressed by the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Peter, in just one short book, spoke of suffering a lot. And I have often wondered if his perception and his perspective about suffering was in direct correlation to his denying Jesus and his, his failure at that point in time. You know, your failures do not disqualify you unless you quit. I'm going to say that again in case there's maybe some quitters out there. Your failures do not disqualify you. In fact, your failures are very valuable because everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. That's right. But I want to do my best to do, we're not going to spend a lot of time 
doing an exegetical study, a word-by-word, phrase-by-phrase study of this amazing passage of Scripture. But we do want to cover just enough so that we get proper direction on this incredibly important subject. I want us to read, uh, take another look at verse number 17 again. It says, for it is better if the will of God be so, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Verse number 17 of chapter number four says, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now this was written 2,000 years ago. And the, the thought here is that everything that's already been discussed by way of suffering is going to be part of a larger process that God is doing in the church. And even 2,000 years ago, the apostle said, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, for if it first begin at us or with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, the reason, there's, there's many scriptures I could bring into this, but this is not really my point uh, today, is that before God can judge the world, God first has to judge the church. Uh, we know this because in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 2, now this was the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and Brother Malachi is going to get that for us. Look at this. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? You didn't know that. You didn't know that God is going to use the church at least in part to be part of the mechanism whereby he judges the world. So because of that, God first has to judge the church before he judges the world. The church has got to be at a certain place so that we are qualified to be a part of that judgment. And not only are we going to judge the world, but it also says that we will judge angels. The same devil that has resisted you your entire life, if you will be an overcomer, you will be able. I'm going to tell you, that excites me. And that's not my theology. That's in the word of God. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. So this is no, this is not just, this is not just a little, a little deal. This is not just some little religious pebble that we're skipping across the pond of religiosity today. This is a reality that is founded in the word of God that the church of the living God at least. I rebuke that electronic devil in Jesus' name. What's going on back there, guys? Dead battery? Pardon me while we have a technical discussion. Okay. Hallelujah. That's not going to save the devil. The day is coming 
Brother Wokey, the same devil that tried to get me to backslide and give up on my eternal salvation, I, the Bible tells me that we're going to look narrowly at him according to the book of Isaiah chapter number 5 and chapter number 14 and say, is this the one that deceived the nations? I want to tell you, there's no person that's going to stop my salvation. There is no spirit that's going to stop my salvation. There is no problem that's going to stop my salvation. There is no trial. There. All right, you may be seated. We got quite a bit of ground to cover, so I don't want you to get take a rabbit trail right now. The next verse says, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, that's incredible terminology. The word scarcely means barely. Barely. I want to tell you, this is, this is serious business. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore? Let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, the reason why we started at, in the last three verses of this passage is because they give an entire different purpose and meaning to the beginning of this passage of scripture, which means that when you suffer, you are suffering to accentuate your salvation. If judgment must first begin at the house of God, and it's in the context of suffering, and the righteous will scarcely be saved. The reasoning is, whenever you read a parenthetical passage of Scripture, there's always one predominant meaning in that particular passage of Scripture. And in this particular passage of Scripture, the meaning is, is that your suffering is on purpose. Now, I know that that goes against the grain of modern-day America. We have five different brands of ketchup. We have five different brands of butter, cubed butter. I, was, uh, I had to run into uh, Walmart yesterday, and I'm a firm believer, wherever you have a Walmart, you can have revival. I want to tell you, you, some of you good people out there, there's some things you see in Walmart you don't see anywhere else in this world. I've seen people try to cover five feet of body with about six inches of clothing. You only see that stuff at Walmart. Come on now, give it up. I ran into Walmart yesterday, and I was, I, I, just, I was just amazed at the volume of food that we enjoy in our culture. We are a blessed people. In fact, I think we ought to clap our hands and thank God for the United States of America that we live in this
That's not almost right, ladies and gentlemen. That is right. However, not only is America a great place because of the resource of plenty, but we are leading in the world with coping mechanisms. Every single day, 128 people in America die due to overdose from opioids. Every single year, 100,000 people die to alcohol or by alcohol-related deaths. 55 million Americans today are marijuana users. Oh yeah, it's the land of plenty. But it's also the, it's also the nation that leads in chemical dependency and coping mechanisms because people cannot handle real life. Honey, if you'll obey the gospel, you can handle anything. Forty million Americans admit to regularly visiting porn sites. There's probably some people under the sound of my voice that last night you were probably looking at stuff in an audience this big with these kind of statistics. There's got to be somebody. Sunday is the most popular day of the week to watch porn, according to major porn sites. An estimated 30 million Americans are considered to be sexually addicted. That means they act out on, in a number of ways to cope for something going on deeper in their lives. 40 million Americans today take psychiatric drugs. My brother and my sister, if there was ever a day that we needed revival, it is right here. It is, you don't need a shrink. You need an altar. You don't need a marijuana store. You need the mind of Christ. Come on, somebody. You don't need alcohol. You need a good old spell in the Holy Ghost. Oh, let's clap our hands and give God great praise. Come on, somebody. Give him the glory. Give him the praise. God has got the answer for addiction. God has the answer for abuse. God has got the answer for everything in this world. Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. Hallelujah. paradox of suffering, one of the clearest examples of this paradox is furnished for us in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 is an amazing passage of scripture with the apostle Paul. This is a man that has cast out devils. This is a man whose voice literally thundered on continents and established churches. This is a man that saw healing. He has seen deliverance. He has seen the power of God shake entire cities. He's already suffered persecution. 
from his own family and fellow countrymen. But in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, and we're not going to read this because it's, it's a lengthy passage, but he is describing how that he became the recipient of supernatural revelation from God. You know, we pick on Peter a lot because Peter is impetuous, he's outspoken, he, he's quick to the draw, he's quick to put down his brothers, he just, he wants the preeminence. But did you know that the Apostle Peter was the very first of all the disciples to get a revelation from the Holy Ghost. In Matthew chapter number 16, Jesus said, Whom do you say that I am? And Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That was the very first revelation that any one of the disciples picked up on. Peter was also the one that got the keys to the kingdom. Peter was the one that got out of the boat and walked on water. It's no secret why the devil wanted Peter. But I'm glad that Peter didn't backslide. Peter found out, found an altar and wept bitterly. And on the day of Pentecost was used greatly of God. Devil, you might have had yesterday, but you can't have tomorrow. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Come on, somebody. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about that he has had incredible revelations given to him by God. And then in verse number 7, the Apostle Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, some commentators, uh, it's, it's obvious that the Apostle Paul had physical ailments. And some commentators believed that it was his eyesight that was afflicted. There are others that believe that the Apostle Paul suffered from a bad back. And, and they believe that the, the devil... Uh, this thorn in the flesh was an accentuation of uh, his bad back. And there are other people that even believe that there may have been some kind of moral temptation, some kind of deal that, that was trying to get him uh, to slip up. The messenger of Satan to beat me. The word buffet there means to be beaten with a fist, lest I should be exalted above measure. Who was it that sent this messenger of Satan? We're all tempted by Satan. We're all tempted throughout the week. But this was a specific messenger of Satan that was sent to balance out the Apostle Paul because of his tempting to become proud. Look at verse number 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And God said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You're kidding me. God gave him the revelation. Now, you're going you're to get an understanding here if you listen to me. God gave him the revelation. And then God sent the messenger of Satan. 
Is God being unfair? No. God was ensuring that what he gave the Apostle Paul would be vouchsafed with the right perspective and the right attitude. Everybody wants to be blessed, but do you have the attitude and the spirit to be blessed? And could it be that the things that are problematic in your life are sent to balance out those... Oh, come on, somebody. I'm trying to help us here today. Amen. See, in America, in the American Apostolic Church, we think if we don't have any problems, we don't ever have to go to the doctor, we never have a financial difficulty, we never have these situations, that that is the definition of being blessed. That is incorrect and inadequate. I'm going to tell you, if you're blessed, God is working with you. If you're blessed, God is with you. If you're blessed, God is allowing you to go through things because he trusts you. Clap your hands and give God the praise. And so the Apostle Paul, when he finds out that God was the one that sent the devil to work me over, he got another revelation. God basically said, I'm not taking it away. I'm not changing it. I'm not removing it. Because it's doing something for you and in you that nothing else can do. Paul immediately shifts his attitude. Look at this. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirm. When is the last time you saw somebody running and you stopped and, hey, wait, 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 wait. What's going on? Oh, I just got a raise on the job. Wow, I'll run with you. Guy up here rolling all over, tears streaming down his face as he's giving praise and glory to God. Hey, what's going on? Hey. We got that house. Man, I'm going to worship God with you. But when have you ever seen somebody running the aisle? Hey, what are you running for? I got infirmities. The American church thinks if I'm doing good, then God must love me. God's loving you regardless of what you, if you backslide, he loves you. If you sit there, he loves you. If you do nothing, he still loves you. Oh, let's clap our hands and give him praise. It's not a question of whether God loves you. The question is, do you love God? Can you love him in the down times as well as the good times? Can you love him and praise him in a jail cell like he was doing in the congregation of the righteous? Can you praise him when you were employed? Can you praise him when you're unemployed, just like when you were employed? That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity says, this ain't nothing but a thing. God's got this. This is just one page of my life. This is just a chapter. This is not the book. This is not the end. This is not final. Come on, somebody. Therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ, there's the paradox, 
The paradox is that if I suffer, if I do it correctly, it will bring more God to me. Let's just take a moment right now and lift our hands and let's pray. If you suffer according to the will of God, it will bring more favor. You're, in fact, you're, you're ready for a graduation if you can do that. Come on, let's really pray here for a minute. It's time for us to grow up and realize if the joy juice gets shut off, he's still God. Not only did the Apostle Paul say, I mean, he, I almost think this is just me. I almost feel like I know this brother. And I think he's, I think he's going, I think he's, he's getting very loud with this because he wants God to know, I got it. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I don't think I've ever seen a human being do this. And that's not to our discredit. I just, that's why I'm preaching this today. Therefore, I take pleasures and in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. That word distress is also used in Romans chapter number 8, where he says that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And one of those world words is distress. And it literally means that there's, there, there's nowhere to move. There's nowhere to turn. It's closing in. The walls are closing in. It's tight. It's restricted. <laughs> That's a great time. To just start praying. That's a great time. It's not a time to go to the marijuana store. It's not a time to hit internet porn. That's no time to get bail out. That's a time to say, God, I'm not going to go back to the world. I'm not going to go back to the things of this world. I'm going to call on the name of Jesus. Paradox, suffering. In our text, we are not to think it strange, the fiery trial. Now there's trials and then there's fiery trials. And a fiery trial is a lot worse than just a regular trial. The apostle says, think it not strange concerning the fire of trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice. If I brought my cell phone to this pulpit this morning 
and read you just the text messages that I got from people in this congregation over the last week, which I will never do. You're safe. But I'm going to start responding by saying, rejoice. <laughs> See, if you suffer with him, you'll reign. Come on, somebody. <laughs> See, we want an American Christianity. It's over. American Christianity is over. There's people packing out mega churches that can't knock the gnat off a windowsill because they don't have God. They don't have the name. They don't have the spirit. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. It's a contradiction. That how I deal with my pain is going to serve a greater spiritual purpose. It's a contradiction. It's not a dichotomy. A dichotomy is an alignment of opposites. But a paradox is where you have a negative and it creates a positive. So what is the positive? What is the paradox? The paradox is, is that when you are suffering, Jesus is going to be there. 2 Timothy 2 and 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Instead of going uh, and, and, and using a coping mechanism or using some addictive uh, behavior to take care of the pressure in your life. If you'll say, you know what, I'm going to go to the church. I know it's dark. I'm going to flip a light on and I'm going to find a place to pray. You're going to watch God come flying off that throne. You're going to watch the, the angels of God are going to start flapping around because they say, he did not go back to that. He did not go to the world. He did not clap your hands and give him praise. Come on, somebody. This is not 101. This is graduation day. This is where I've proven to the spirit world, you ain't going to get me to backslide. You ain't going to get me to quit church. You ain't going to get me to start talking stuff. I am going to trust God. Somebody shout. Somebody rejoice. Somebody give God the praise. Somebody give God the glory. I don't need anybody watching me. I don't need anybody supervising me. Come on, somebody. Give him the praise. Woo! My God, I feel it. Come on, get rid of your complaining. Get rid of your bad attitude. It only encourages the devil. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Pity and power cannot coexist. Pity 
and power cannot coexist. Those that are in leadership are tempted with this. Talking about Moses, that he, he chose rather to suffer affliction with God's people than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I'm going to do what the pastor's been talking to us about. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to do what the Holy Ghost is leading me to do. I am not going back to the world. I'm not going back to internet. I'm not going to have a big television in my home where I can zone out on life and let Hollywood entertain me. No, 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 no. I'm going to make heaven my home. And if God judges the house of God, we come on, somebody. God sent me here to help you. God sent me here to encourage you. That was God that was talking to you. That was God that called you. That I don't need the pleasure of sin for a season. Come on, somebody shout. Somebody repent. Somebody shout. Somebody rejoice. Somebody. I'm going to play by the right rules. You ain't going to make it. Every man that strives for masteries must strive lawfully, which means you have to play by the rules to get the reward. You can't be here well-dressed, looking like you're paying attention to everything, and then you're doing something else in your secret life. You might be doing that, but today is the day to repent. God sent me to this auditorium here today, not to condemn you, but to show you this thing is getting ready. He's going to take his fan, and he's going to purge his floor before he judges this world. I want to go in the rapture. I want to be a part of this. I want revival. I want anointing. I want blessing. Clap your hands and give him praise. Pastor, I'm ready to repent right now. You're going to have to wait a couple minutes. Suffering and being able to handle suffering, pain, distress, and there's a million applications, so why I won't even get started. It just, just, some of you are doing phenomenal. The same, the same pressure that would have taken you to old Joe's bar and grill, sitting up on a bar stool, keeps you in that altar. And I want to tell you what, your name is recorded in heaven. The angels know who you are. The devil knows who you are. Your father knows who you are. When you're going through a fiery trial, it's unlike anything you've ever endured. It's a new chapter. 
What that suffering is doing, if you do it right, the Apostle Paul, or I'm sorry, the Apostle Peter does qualify this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. There's three kinds of suffering. There's a suffering that we bring upon ourselves. It's self-induced. It's my own stupidity. It's the suffering that you suffer from the hands of the repercussions of the events and actions of another person. And it's the sufferings that God allows in your life. I've been involved in all three. Oh, pastor. You did something stupid. But I ain't leaving. Amen. Amen. Come on, Wally. I ain't leaving. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. I'm going to hit that altar. I'm going to hit that prayer room. I'm going to get in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to get it right. Let none of you suffer as an evildoer, a murderer, a thief. He uses the word evildoer here, but I'm going to qualify that here in a moment. Or as a busybody in other men's matters. You know what that means? That means, dude, I'm sorry, did I say dude? Brother, don't you have enough problems? Pastor, did you hear about so-and-so? No, and I'm not interested. Click. And I don't recommend that you get involved in another deal. You know, the Bible talks about taking a dog by the ears. Pastor, I got bit because I got involved in a problem that wasn't mine. Click. Pastor. Pastor! Don't come calling to me because you got involved in something. Is there not a person among us that has enough issues in their own deal? Pastor, I just called because I have the gift of suspicion. Oh, yeah. You're in every church. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just thinking something about one of the brothers and the sisters, and, and I was just thinking something, and... You know, I was just thinking something, and I got to praying, and I got to thinking something. Are you still there, Pastor? No, I clicked you off when you first started talking about somebody else. If you know they got problems, why don't you pray for them? Clap your hands. If you know somebody else has got issues, God's going to hold you accountable to pray for them. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. Every one of these examples has to do with dealing with other people. Murderer, thief. 
busybody in other men's matters. He is not describing personal acts of inconsistency. There's a lot of people under the sound of my voice that you probably are suffering from one degree to another by some self-induced situation that you're working through. Does that mean that you're off the team? Not at all. Keep your dignity, believe in the Word of God, and work through your mistakes. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, one of only two usages of the word Christian in the entire New Testament, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has now come that judgment must begin first at the house of God. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2 and verse number 10, speaking of Jesus, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation. That's directly talking about Jesus. Look at these last three words. Perfect, and the direct translation of that word is complete. Complete through suffering. Which means it is impossible to become the everything that God wants you to become without tasting the bitter cup of suffering. Why is this? Because in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, begin reading in verse number 3, it says this. This is talking about Jesus, the Son of God. The word of God made flesh. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was acquainted with suffering. In fact, almost 99 to 1, I think of one scripture where it said that Jesus rejoiced. And that was because he gave revelations to the simple and the humble. That the Bible said that Jesus rejoiced in spirit. But 99 to 1, his, his experience on earth was qualified by suffering. He is acquainted with grief and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs. There's that word grief again. Suffering and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse number five. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Someone said suffering. Say it again. Please everybody in the church say suffering. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Verse number seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. That word afflicted in one, in one passage is a direct translation of suffering. Yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. He didn't cry out. Uh, he did cry, but he didn't cry out because of this was befalling him. He knew this would befall him. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears are dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I think we ought to just lift our hands right now. The American dream in Pentecost, I need to wake you up. It's over. It's over. We are entered into the end times where God is trying to raise up at Cornerstone a transformative church. Come on, let's pray right now. It, it, it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God to cause him to suffer. The Father has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, it shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to have him suffer. Suffering in the will of God is the most incredible experience this side of heaven. It brings and draws and provides a richness and a depth of the presence of God to comfort us, to strengthen us, to console us. To encourage us. I know that here at Cornerstone, it's, this, is, this, is, this is a rejoicing congregation. I thank God for it. When my wife and I first started this church 27 years ago, the small hand, handful of people that were sitting in the chairs uh, watched my wife and I worship, mo ma mainly me. Um, and then Brian, Brother Ryan Knutson uh, and, then, and then he and I were the only ones running the aisles. My wife was playing the piano, and the people that came to visit us were looking at us, just saying, I don't know what these guys are doing. It looks weird. And ultimately, they didn't stick around because it, it was just weird. But you have to understand, I'm not going to offend God because of the ignorance of humanity. Somewhere there had to strike a balance. And, and, and nonetheless, it's what it, 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 it's what it was. I thank God that Cornerstone is an exhilarating. There is redemptive lift in this church. But I'm going to tell you that that is not the most powerful resource in this congregation. I thank God for this. There's people that come in and, and they see people running the aisles and worshiping God. And, and they feel that redemptive lift. When one person begins to express 
their joy, their rejoicing, their, their praise, their devotion, their consecration. There, there, is, there is a wake that's created from that person. And the more that this church gives themselves to that, people that walk into this, they go, man, I thought, I thought the bar was exciting, but I ain't never seen anything like this. These people ain't on dope. These people aren't drinking. These people aren't backslid. How do I get some of this? My, my brothers and my sisters, that is the most, that is not the most powerful factor of this congregation. The most powerful factor of this congregation is that we can rejoice with them that rejoice and weep. There exists something deeper, something that goes beyond exhilaration. And the Apostle Paul knew this. He said, that I may know him in the power of the resurrection. But there's something that goes so far beyond the power of the resurrection. And it's the fellowship of the suffering. You see, when you're suffering, Jesus comes down and says, I'm not going to let you suffer alone. I'm going to be there with you in a special measure. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to encourage you. When you pray, we're going to go to deeper places in the Holy Ghost, and I'm going to show you things you've never seen before. That, that suffering is but a vehicle. It is just but a vehicle. I, I love the demonstration of, of, of the resurrection. That's, what we, that's exactly what we've been experiencing around here. The power of the resurrection is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and it's, and it's redemptive lift. It is redemptive lift out of your, out of your daily life and out of depression and out of boredom and out of right on the verge of backsliding. But there's a deeper place that'll put you deep at the feet of Jesus Christ where he says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. It's the fellowship of suffering. Clap your hands and give him praise. That's where you grow. That's where you go. That's where you mature. That's where you get deeper. That's where you grow. If you survive and you do the suffering thing right, you'll never backslide. I've seen people backslide that ran the aisles. I've seen, I've seen people that could lift their hands and with eloquence speak another tongue. And the redemptive lift of the power of the Holy Ghost coursing through their spirit to elevate them on a Sunday morning far beyond the pablum of everyday monotony and minutiae. But you ever taste the fellowship of his suffering, you will never even consider backsliding because now you've got a reference point that no matter how bad it gets, 
God's going to be there with you. It takes a little bit more. It takes a little bit more maturity. It takes a little bit more intestinal fortitude because we're wired for the running. We're wired for the celebration. I understand that. It's exhilaration. It's worship. It's demonstration. But the fellowship. I was a new convert in Sacramento, California. And I went through the worst trial. I'm looking back on it. 37 years later. At the time, all I could do was weep. All I could, oh God. The devil's saying, you know, you know where to get the drugs. You know where the bar is. You know, just call up those old phone numbers. You can have anything you want, anytime, any place. But it catapulted me into a dimension where the church service would be going on and I'd just be, <laughs> they didn't understand that in the spirit there was everlasting arms that were wrapped around me. The reason why I'm in the ministry today is not the fact that I ran the aisles for 20 minutes without ever taking a break, but it was the fact that I know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. He will be there for me, no matter what, clap your hands and give God the praise. That is where you grow. That is where you mature. That is where you're developed. Clap your hands and give God the praise. stand. I prefer not to have any music today. You that are grieving, you already know that God is with you because the minute you posture yourself, you are enveloped and your spirit becomes enraptured in the presence of the ancient of days. That reference point will stay with you every minute, every second, every day for the rest of your... People will forget running the aisles. People will forget rolling on the carpet. People will forget those dynamic prayer meetings in a prayer room. But once you've tasted the fellowship of his sufferings, this altar's open. If you're visiting with us and you'd like to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we invite you to come. Come. If you need to be baptized in Jesus' name and there is no other authorized, authentic way to be baptized. There's people in this congregation been talking about backsliding this week. Not if you taste the fellowship of his sufferings. 
Let's find a place to pray. Paul experienced that. Peter experienced it. John on Patmos experienced it. Sin will never feel or taste the same again. But in your grief and your sorrow, the living God is going to be there with you. And He's going to help you bear your grief, bear your sorrows. Let's pray.